Hi, this is Ken Clark. I'm the minister of the Old First Church, which is located in Bennington, Vermont. Here's another recording of our worship services, which are conducted at the Old First Church and allow us to worship remotely during this year 2020. These services will be posted weekly on our website and also as a podcast entitled A Walk to Clio Hall, which you can search for and find on Spotify, Anchor, and other broadcast apps. This service is intended for November 22nd, 2020. The organist is Jean Marie Callahan, and the preacher is Ken Clark. to the Old First Church in Bennington, Vermont. This is our Thanksgiving service of worship. Join me, if you will, in the opening words, which are found in the order of service and said responsively. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into God's presence with thanksgiving. For the Lord is good, God's steadfast love endures forever. Our first hymn is We Gather Together.
join me, if you will, in saying together the opening prayer found in the order of service. Gracious God, you have given us so much, but too often we take those gifts for granted or as something to which we are by skill entitled. You call us to live in love, but too often we place our wants and needs first and those of others a distant second. You call us to share, but we think that there may not be enough. You call us to understand, but we do not take time to listen. Let us know the joy of giving thanks and the peace found in discovering the source of all good gifts. For all the times when we mistreat and misuse what we have, for all the times when we forget the gift and neglect the giver, Forgive us and lead us back to the path of wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. If we confess our faults, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. first lesson today is taken from the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy, in the 8th chapter, verses 7 through 18. These selections for this Sunday are from the Thanksgiving Day readings, which are found in the lectionary. We're not doing the readings appointed for this last Sunday of the liturgical year in the church. This last Sunday brings year A as it's rather poetically described in the lectionary, brings year A to a close, and we start a new year, a new cycle of readings called, yes, it is called Year B, and that will start next Sunday, and of course we begin with Advent and the beginning of the Advent season. So in a new liturgical year, but right now we're finishing up in year A, and these are the year A readings for Thanksgiving Day in the United States. Deuteronomy 8, 7 through 18. The Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with flowing streams, with springs and underground waters welling up in valleys and in hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land where you may eat bread without scarcity, where you will lack for nothing, a land whose stones are iron and from whose hills you may mine copper. You shall eat your fill and bless the Lord your God for the good land that God has given you. Take care that you do not forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commandments, his ordinances, and his statutes, 
which I am commanding you today. When you have eaten your fill and have built fine houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks have multiplied, and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then do not exalt yourself, forgetting the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness, an arid wasteland with poisonous snakes and scorpions. He made the water flow for you from flint rock and fed you in the wilderness with manna that your ancestors did not know to humble you and to test you and in the end to do you good. Do not say to yourself, my power and the might of my own hand have gotten me this wealth, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth so that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your ancestors as he is doing today. Here ends the first reading. Our hymn is a familiar one, Psalm 100, All People That On Earth Do Dwell. second lesson is taken from the Gospel of Luke in the 17th chapter, verses 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, 
turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, Were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Here ends the second lesson. There's a lot to do this day, Thanksgiving Sunday. As you can well imagine, I'd be like one of those old mythical situations where you have to tie me to the mass to prevent me from mentioning our friends, the pilgrims, who, as you know now, are safely arrived 400 years ago in the harbor outside Provincetown, Massachusetts, and will remain there until mid-December. So I want to talk about them, but I also have two other things to talk to you about. So there's really three sermons in one, and the beginning of your Thanksgiving will come when the third one is all over and done with, and you can enjoy the rest of this day uh, with these thoughts of mine, and I hope other thoughts of friends and family, if you're not gathered close together today, keep them in mind, keep the image of Thanksgiving's past in mind, and also look forward to Thanksgivings in the future so that we will enjoy them and savor them and appreciate them with a renewed and stronger thanks as time goes forward. But as I said, I want to begin really three different sermons here. And my first sermon has to do with the text from Luke itself, the story of the uh, lepers and Jesus and the healing, which is a classic Thanksgiving Day text. One of my mentors, one of my predecessors in a former church, always pointed to this particular passage in Luke and the story of the healing and the cleansing of these ten lepers and the return of the one to Jesus as the classic point about what Thanksgiving was all about. I think it was certainly correct. Martin Luther also shared his point of view when asked about the proper form of worship, what was the nature of true worship. Luther replied to that question when he was asked, what is the nature of true worship? He simply said, the tenth leper turning back. It is that sense of praise and thankfulness and gratitude to God. And perhaps if you take Luther's spin on this particular parable, it's the fact that that tenth leper didn't go to the priests, but returned to Jesus uh, to give thanks at the feet of Jesus. And I'm going to go into that in a little bit more depth in my third sermon today, but I want to bring up that point initially, how this is just so generally read a clear and comforting parable about what giving thanks and what true thanks is all about. There is something, as I was doing my research, however, that struck me talking about this parable today, and that's simply about an analogy we can make between the lepers and what we're going through in our day and time. It struck me particularly as I'm talking here in the empty church, Jean-Marie is listening quite attentively, but 
Otherwise, the church is beautiful, but beautifully empty. The sun is out and streaming in. The white is white as it can be. It's wonderful and so sad that others are not here. As I was researching position of the lepers, I came across a quotation. It's from a book entitled The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah by Alfred Edelstein, and actually was a text from the 1880s, 1888, in fact. So I'm not vouching for any of the specifics that Edelstein is speaking about here, but I want to share this quote when he's speaking about the position of the leper in Jewish society. He makes certain remarks and then says, later Jewish practice prescribed that while lepers might attend synagogue, they must be the first to enter and the last to leave and must stay in a special compartment to isolate them from other worshipers. No less than a distance of four cubits, which he calculated as six feet, must be kept from a leper. I was rather struck by that, and that suddenly brought me back into our present times when I realized that in some sense what we're going through, we're treating people, one another, as if we have a disease such as leprosy. And that's exactly what's going on with this virus that we're trying to avoid and dodge and minimize its impact. And in fact, we are isolating ourselves and separating ourselves out. The Jews of this time were doing something probably scientifically rigorous for them, separating out the members of the community who were communicable and might spread a disease. It was the best science of the time. I don't know where we'll be going with this, but the six-foot rule for cubits seems to have held through time. And here we are today. There is an analogy about the pure and the impure. And I wonder about our society as we dwell upon these things, separating people out as pure and impure and quarantine and distance, what the long-term effects are. When I am not working at the church during the week, I'm teaching some classes. I have taught through the fall some in-person classes at the college level. And I'm always struck by how a rising generation is experiencing a formative period of their lives by recognizing that their classmate classmate might be impure, might be contaminated, is to be avoided. That we're teaching a generation in this year that people are threats to one another simply by existing, by being. By masking ourselves up and I look out on a classroom of people, I cannot read their emotions. I don't know whether what I'm saying has meaning, significance, whether I'm hitting home with something or whether I'm offending or pleasing. Not that I always aim to please, but sometimes I do. By masking ourselves, we hide our emotions. Somebody was writing recently how Small children, as they are developing the skills that we have as humans to read the human face, suddenly are not having that developmental skill at certain ages. 
So there are all kinds of worries about these days as we go through them. And they were brought to mind simply by this reading we have this morning, that some things in life, although they seem new and different to us and present unique challenges, some things in life, basic things we've been dealing with for centuries, maybe not the same problem itself, but the same way of approach, the same way of figuring something out. I don't know where we'll go from here, but my prayer and my hope this Thanksgiving Sunday is that we pass through this time, that we reach another shore, and that we're able to give thanks that this time is behind us. Jesus in this parable is teaching us about a healthy way of being which involves the leper touching Jesus, coming right up to Jesus, and indeed saying something in a loud voice and singing almost a praise of thanks to him. Things that we can't do these days, but things that this parable teaches us are essential to our humanity, what it is to be human and what it is to be alive. So I'm going to leave you with just that that thought, in some sense, about what at an initial level this parable strikes me as when we talk about quarantine and distance and pure and impure. We're kind of living with these things in our current lives. I did say I wanted to also comment upon the, the pilgrims, and I just wanted, since it is Thanksgiving Sunday, to quote that section uh, from William Bradford, where in his memoir, he writes of these days, being thus arrived in a good harbor and brought safe to land, they, the ship people on the ship, they fell upon their knees and blessed the God of heaven who had brought them over the vast and furious ocean and delivered them from all perils and miseries thereof, again to set their feet on firm and stable earth, their proper element. But I cannot but stay and make pause and stand half amazed at this poor people's present condition. So I think will the reader too, when he considers the same, being thus past the vast ocean and a sea of troubles before their preparation, they had now no friends to welcome them, nor inns to entertain or refresh their weather-beaten bodies, no houses or much less town to repair to, to seek for succor. And for the season, it was winter, and they that know the winters of that country, our country, they that know the winters of that country know them to be sharp and violent and subject to cruel and fierce storms, dangerous to travel to known places, much more to search for an unknown coast. For summer being done and all things stand upon them with a weather-beaten face, and the whole country full of woods and thickets represented a wild and savage hue. If they looked behind them, there was the mighty ocean which they had passed and was now as a main bar and gulf to separate them from the civil parts of the world. If it be said they had a ship to succor them, it is true. But what heard they daily from the master and the company, but that with speed they should look out for a place where they would be at some near distance. For the season was such as he would not stir from thence till a safe harbor was discovered by them, 
where they would be and he might go without danger. And the victuals consumed apace, he must and would keep sufficient for themselves and their return. What now could sustain them but the Spirit of God and his grace? May not and ought the children of these fathers, and I will add mothers, rightly say, our parents were Englishmen which came over this great ocean and were ready, ready to perish in this wilderness. But they cried unto the Lord, and he heard their voice and looked on their adversity. Let them therefore praise the Lord, because God is good and his mercies endure forever. Bradford goes on. I just want to share a bit of that with you to give you the feeling of thanks when Bradford arrived at that other shore, but that other shore was not a welcoming shore. It was a shore that enabled them to get off a ship and scratch out a hard winter, which we know in Pilgrim story. And it's not till a year later that they celebrate their first true Thanksgiving. But the point here and the point I make here is that Bradford arrived on that shore before the bounty, before the harvest, simply arriving safe was reason for thanks, though the wilderness was desolate and gray and harsh, he was giving thanks. There are two kinds of thanks that I want to deal with in the concluding part of this sermon, and one is the thanks that Bradford is giving to some extent. It's the thanks we're all familiar about. I call it ordinary thanks for a while. I'm making a distinction here. But ordinary thanks is certainly what we give from time to time. It's a true gratitude. It's a good habit. And the Bible teaches us that our thanks extends not only to others wherein we recognize by who they are and what they mean to us, their essential value, their spark of divinity themselves, that they represent some precious and good thing, a soul, and a kind soul at that. But further, we're taught that thanks goes first to God, who creates and sustains and gives all things. The readings are clear on that, especially in the book of Deuteronomy. And why give thanks, aside from the commanded thanks? Well, this ordinary thanks is something we give, I think, so that we can push away other things, other things that crop up in life too soon and easily if we don't think about it. If we are giving thanks, if we remember to give thanks, we are, in fact, crowding out other thoughts, anger, resentment, envy, pride. If we learn to give thanks in any circumstance, we put these other things down and remind ourselves of what matters. I often think of the act of simply turning one's face up to the sky in the night and seeing the stars and the wonder above us. It reorients us. It forces us to give up the, the things that perhaps trouble and vex us here below and see what a wonder, what a world we do live in. Those of us in this November who are lucky enough to look out on a, either the morning sky or the evening sky see that beautiful golden glow. And that too reminds us that these times are special, the life we share and the life we have. 
giving thanks, remembering to give thanks in the smallest things and in the most difficult times, crowds out some other things, perhaps our worries, our fears, our disappointments. We're forced in some ways by the simple act of giving thanks, not only to understand our blessings, but also to put aside those things that shadow and confuse our life. Giving thanks is a way to spiritual clarity. Giving thanks is also, as Martin Luther pointed out, the beginning of true worship, knowing where we stand and what we owe to others, not only those around us, but God, God's self. Now finally, and as an extension of this, I want to turn to the text in Luke about the story of the ten lepers who approach Jesus. And indeed, I want to kind of modernize this in a way. Uh, They're identified as ten lepers, and we might translate that nowadays as ten leprous people or ten people with leprosy. I've learned this from our discussions in the last years about slavery, that it is much better for us to use the terminology people who are enslaved rather than slaves. In other words, we first identify the humanity and then identify the condition. And here again in the Gospel of Luke, this rendering ten lepers almost obscures the humanity of these people and makes us focus on the condition. These are ten people with leprosy, not simply ten lepers. As we would say, they may be a group of enslaved people and not just a group of slaves. So that's an important point of learning, I think, for all of us when we see these things to think upon them. But that's not the main point I want to make here with the Gospel of Luke. It's a familiar parable to us, and it has some curiosities. Uh, it takes place outside of Galilee near Samaria, so it's in a kind of a mixed area, a mixed neighborhood, so to speak, where people are from both the Jewish tradition and other traditions. The people with leprosy approach Jesus, and they call out to him. So they recognize there is something here for them. And Jesus tells them to show themselves to the priests. Now, the math here suggests that there is one Samaritan and the rest are uh, people of uh, Hebrew faith. And so the priests would be the people who would pronounce these people clean. If they had been cured as Jesus had cured them and they're cured on the way, then the priests are the ones that give the okay, the heads up. They pass the test. They are now clean. They can re-enter the community. No longer outcasts. That's a good thing for all these ten people with leprosy. But the one who turns to Jesus presents a bit of a problem. Number one, Jesus is commending this one who turns to him. Why didn't he go to the priest? Well, perhaps he wasn't of the Hebrew faith and the priests would not accept him. Or maybe if you look at this parable, he had another priest he could have gone to. He could have regained entrance to that community. But the person with leprosy, this tenth person, does not do that. He turns to Jesus and he praises Jesus. With a loud voice, he prostrates himself at Jesus' feet and he thanks him. 
there's our thanksgiving, there's our touching, there's the sense that this person is back in community. But he's in a different community. And I think this is the point of this parable. It's not to blame the nine who didn't return. They did what Jesus told him. But it's this tenth person that turns to Jesus with praise and thanks that is the central point for us. But what has happened here? And here I want to make a distinction. I talked about ordinary thanks, that thanks we give one another and thanks we have all the time. I want to also say it's kind of like an essential thanks. That's what gets us through. These nine people with leprosy went away thankful. They had that basic thanks. But I want to suggest to you that the tenth had something more. That tenth person had what I call existential thanks. Not essential thanks, not the stuff that is just simple thanks, ordinary thanks. But this tenth had existential thanks. In some way, he realized he had come through something so serious. He may have realized he had no other community and no place to go even as a person healed, even as a clean person, even fully accepted. He perhaps understood that as a Samaritan, he had no place to go. But he knew who worked this miracle. He knew who changed his life. He knew what changed and who changed it for him. And he goes to Jesus. He doesn't go to the priests. He doesn't even do the calculation, or perhaps he did do the calculation as he turned back. I'll use his words. Oh, my God, I'm not doing what I'm told. I'll probably continue to have leprosy. He told me to go see the priests, but I can't help it. I need him. I need to speak to him. I need to be with him. That decision of the tenth to turn to Christ at this point is not an essential thanks, not an ordinary thanks. It's an existential act that this is the person, this is where I am and where I will be from this point forward. It's so important for us to understand that there is such a thanks in life there is such a change of condition and position. There is always in life when something good happens, when we get a cure for something, there's a thanks and a return to normal. Even if it's a new normal, let's just get back to the way things were. Let's give thanks for what's happened and get back to the way things used to be. A thanks and a return to normal. But... This parable shows us that there's something more with Christ. There is a thanks and a transformation of who you are. The hard things you've been through, the difficulties you've faced, the death you've looked in the eye, the disease that's come for you, the joy that's been taken away, the loss that you've suffered, the hardships you've endured, the sea that you've crossed, whatever it is, when you come through, and you come through with thanks and knowing where your salvation lies, 
That is a transformation of who you are and how you live from this day forward. And so our thanksgiving is two-barreled. It's one an ordinary thanks, and we can be thankful for so many good things, even in hard times. But let me suggest to you also that there is a place in life, and I know this from experience of people who have told me who have come through hard times or had their lives turned around. Often they use the figure of seeing Jesus or hearing a voice. I've heard those stories. And for those people, this parable is so real that their life has been changed and turned around, and they know exactly who to thank and why. And so their thanks is full. My wish for all of us is that we not endure such hard times or existential threats, but we will endure some things, and we might be able, through the difficulties we shoulder, to give a real and existential thanks to the God who saves us and guides us, who even in worse times protects us and will be there in any season, any age, in any life. Amen. Our hymn is We Plow the Fields and Scatter.
this Thanksgiving Sunday service. Welcome to the old First Church in Bennington, Vermont. I'm hoping that you're hearing this, as I've said before, in a place with some friends and remembering both Thanksgiving's past and what's made them special. Hopeful that you're making this Thanksgiving memorable in some way and hopeful, too, that I'll see you in church next year at a Thanksgiving service celebration in Bennington. I want to thank Jean Marie Callahan, our organist, who has uh, been with me in the service today. Appreciate her efforts, not only today, but throughout our Sundays here, as well as Nancy Andrews, who's prepared the order of service and kept our office going. I don't have more announcements than that, except to say um, some of our best laid plans, as I noted in my perhaps introduction, my first sermon of the morning, uh, the fact that the virus is with us, or perhaps a vaccine on the horizon, but that we're dealing with a renewed bloom of presence of this virus amongst people in the community, a little bit frustrating, and some of our plans about gathering have been uh, postponed as we deal with this second wave, as they say. My hope and prayer is that this will be behind us very shortly. I can't promise you more than that, except to hope and pray for our gathering here again and in the future uh, soon, but it's looking to be like a difficult fall and early winter season. So my thoughts are with you wherever you are and however you're hearing this. The morning offering for the work of our church will now be received. Give thee but thine own, whate'er the gift may be. All that we have is thine alone a trust, O Lord, 
from thee. Amen. Before I conclude with our pastoral prayer, I just want to continue my thanks not only to Jean Marie and Nancy, but also to the trustees, to the deacons, to our church council, to all church members for your work and patience and understanding. These past few months, it's been so unusual. And I really want to thank all of you, those that are able to listen to the services. Much appreciated. The feedback is much appreciated. Those we hold in our thoughts. I'm thankful for your forbearance, understanding. I'm thankful for this church, the fact that we're trying to get it through and have us come out on the other end of this as good as we went in and perhaps even stronger and with renewed appreciation for our common life together. do miss it so much, and I'm sure you do. So I give my thanks for you and your association with this church. Now let us pray. Dear God, be with us on this day as seasons change, as cold makes its presence known in this life. Draw us together in homes near the warmth of one another, but more, O God, near the warmth of your love. Kindle in us a loving spirit. And more, dear God, give us a thankful heart that we may look upon this life and understand the gift we have, the time we have been given, the work before us. Teach us to put aside any hard thoughts. Teach us to open our hearts to live our lives both freely and fully not to fear, to have courage, to hope in a vision of life which is giving and caring, compassionate. Allow us to speak the truth, to work for justice, to work for peace, to understand our neighbors, to love our neighbors, keep our families strong. And we are thankful, dear God, for every family and every one. Remember our children and especially help them get through this difficult time. Remember those who are older, we feel isolated and alone at this point. Teach us to reach out that the needs of others may be known to us and we might respond. We pray for our land, but first, O oh Lord, we give thanks for this land we have this country, this blessed place of bounty, 
and beauty. Keep us mindful of this gift we have. Allow us to be its stewards. But finally, O God, allow us to acknowledge by whose hand we have these great blessings. We pray for the world and its peace, understanding that in any area across this globe, there are promised lands. There are lands that are blessings to all peoples. So to them and all in their places, may our prayer be for peace, prosperity, kindness. We give you thanks for the miracles of science, for those who work in hospitals and labs and help us through this difficult time. We give you thanks for churches that help us try to make sense and give perspective to this time. But most of all, dear God, we give thanks for you in whom all perspective and all time is found. Now in silence we make our prayer to you. Amen. And as Jesus taught us, we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our final hymn is Now Thank We All Our God.
now may God bless us and keep us. May God's face shine upon us and give us peace this day and evermore. Amen.
Thanks for listening. And if you're listening this week during the week of Thanksgiving, a special word to you of thanks and gratitude and a hope that you're with those that you love and can share some spirit of thanks with one another. And in the meantime, be of good cheer and live your faith in the coming week. Permission to podcast and stream the service music is granted under license number 3009679 from CCLI with all other creative rights reserved.